Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Welcome to We Do Recover, episode 30. I'm your host, Jared Miller. Today, I'm joined via the World Wide Web by your co-host and our medical expert, Dr. Terry Sellers. Yeah, that's right. I'm here. I'm actually here. The man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> you know, it's just not well, the same whatever. without you, Sellers. We realized that last week. I got to express some gratitude, man. I, I love that you're here. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Just not the same without the doc in the house. I also have in the studio today the man yeah. that makes this thing possible. He's got our sexy new graphics going on. I've been putting this man to work and making him earn, a, making him earn his pay, Sean Denovan. I push the buttons. He does a great job of pushing buttons. And finally, to our featured guest. She is an amazing lady. She is an upcoming author. She's a speaker. I am so excited to get her story today. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Mallory Roosh. Mallory Roosh. Boom. <laughs> you ready for this? I'm ready as I can be. All right. This, this podcast is recorded in sunny St. George, Utah. Episode 30, part one, is brought to you by none other than steps recovery centers where addiction ends and healing begins i mean this if you or a loved one need help don't hesitate give them a call 801-800-8142 in fact i think mallory has a little experience that we'll get to later with steps yes we will (laughs) (laughs) good stuff good stuff okay well we start off with new and goods dr sellers what's going on in in your world um well, as you know, but maybe the listeners don't know, uh, I've been playing golf basically for two weeks. It's been <laughs> so much golf, I can barely stand it. Um, but it was lovely. Last week, I was in Scottsdale, Arizona. We flew in Tuesday morning, drove straight to the golf course from the airport, played 18 holes, went back to the hotel, woke up the next morning, played 36 holes, played 36 the next day, played 27 the next day, and 36 the next day, and then flew home. That's more golf than one person should ever play in a week, but <laughs> I've, I've been playing golf, and I've been loving it. That's awesome, man. I'm so, I'm so happy for you, and I need to take a page out of your book. Sometimes I get a little too, you know, overwhelmed in, in you know, the, the hustle and bustle of, of life, and sometimes it's, you're a good example. Sometimes it's good to just unplug and take some, you know, some what do they call that? Personal care, personal love. That's foreign to me, but. But very important. Well, a little little yeah. self-care. A little self-care. Thank you, Doc. We appreciate you. All right. Yeah. Mallory Roosh, what's new and good in the world of Mallory? Uh, so definitely I've been writing a book lately, which we'll get to later, but life has been awesome. Life is good. You know, life is something that I'm getting to experience for the first time you know, fully invested, fully in recovery. And that's pretty awesome. I love it. So I got to share a precious little moment. So I, I, you know, since we connected on social media, I follow you, see your stuff, love it. You're doing awesome stuff. I, I yeah, totally motivating and inspiring. Re gives me the, the juice to keep doing the stuff that I'm doing. I saw a video of you taking your daughter through the car wash oh. and I laughed so hard because it's such a cute, precious moment. I can remember going through a car wash and being scared to death. That was, and I just thought, man, what a great example of the little things that sometimes we, we take for granted in our lives in recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a four year old um, little girl named Adelaide, which means the light of the world and a two year old. Um, her name is Ravi, R-A-V-I. And that means to own the world. And because of my addiction and everything I had done to my body, I honestly wasn't sure I'd ever be able to be a mom. And so every moment that I get with them is so important to me. And, and, you know, just being able to be that example and that role model and to actually show up and be there for them is, is 100% gratifying. You're a rock star. Thank you for that. Sean Denovan, I see you over there on your phone. 
You know you got to play a role in this thing, man. What's new and good oh, in your no, world? I'm totally playing a role. I'm listening, making sure the levels are good. Man, I am Mr. Multitasker. You just don't appreciate it. That's all. Oh, that, there could be some truth to that. Now, new and good for me. Actually, I got another side hustle. Oh, are you serious? Oh, no. Yeah. So I might be going to Vegas or Branson, Missouri. To build another radio studio? Maybe. Maybe. Oh, really? So I got, a, I got a consultation phone call this afternoon to find out, so. Man, you're just building radio stations. Yeah, it's a smaller, it's, it's a smaller home studio for somebody. So, but you know, there you go. You asked. That's what I'm doing. That's How, incredible. And I'll, I'll, try, I'll try not to leave when we record your podcast. You know, I don't think people really appreciate just how much hard work has to go into one of these things. And we are so blessed to have Sean. Like we really are. This thing would not be possible without Sean Denovan. He's amazing. He's getting contracted to build radio stations and podcast stuff. He, matter of fact, you were bringing in what looked like military boxes the other day. Come to find out, he did a <laughs> podcast studio at the high school. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. They're little like uh, mobile man. podcast boxes I make for the high schools to do. Dude, so. you're, That's awesome. you're on fire. You're on fire. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, appreciate it. Now back to your show. It's Wait, all about you, not me. <laughs> hey, we're not done. I'm not done with you. Las Vegas or Branson? Yeah. Wait, tell me about why Las Vegas or Branson. Because the guy I'm going to be building it for spends time in Vegas and Branson. And he hasn't quite decided? Yeah, that's a conversation to, for today, so I don't know what's going on. But, <laughs> nice. you know, it, it, it might happen, it might not, whatever. It's, it's you know, a little sun on the horizon. I'll take it. I love it. I love it. So I'm going to do a little check-in. My new and good. Man, I was having kind of some anxiety last night. I got some some stuff going on in my world, and, and uh, I made a phone call to a guy that's actually uh, been on the, the podcast, uh, John Red, and just had to, I that poor guy, I just unloaded on him. And he gave me some some really good perspective. Just goes to show the power connection. So shout out to him. I really appreciate him. And uh, yeah, that's my new and good connection, good. brotherhood. I love it. Anyways, let's get into this thing, yeah. Doctor Sellers. We ready to rock and roll? I think so. Okay. Hit her with the weird thing you can think of. How much could woodchuck chuck of woodchuck could chuck wood? I'm just kidding. Don't answer that. Okay. All right. And blank. And there it goes. So tell us a little about a little bit about you. You shared that you have kids. Are you married? Are you single? You know, tell us about what, what is your family life? What does your home life look like? So um, I am married to my very best friend. He has been through my recovery and all this with me. Um, is he's the best support I could ever have. Um, I have a bachelor's in healthcare administration, so I ended up getting that degree throughout my recovery because I believed that healthcare was the one place I could help the most people. Love that. Yeah. Um, it didn't turn out that way, which we'll get into later. And, um, yeah, today I get to celebrate recovery. Today I show up. Today I have friends. Today um, I've been with my job for eight years, and I love it. I, I get to meet new people, and I've been able to, through my job and with my recovery, um, make a difference. So I think that's what's keeps keeping me there, you know? Nice. Nice. I'm gonna slow you down for a minute though. What is, what is your husband's name? Wesley Roosh. Wesley Roosh. What a great support. Yeah. Wesley may have a little surprise message for you this morning. Let's see if we can get oh, it. Oh my gosh. Hey, this message from Mallory Roosh. Bet you didn't think you were going to hear, uh, your husband's voice in your headset today, but here I am. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I just wanted to say how proud I am of you and how crazy it is to see how many people you've inspired and, and being able to express yourself in a way that a lot of people are afraid to. So anyway, I <laughs> just wanted to let everybody know about the intro to your book and uh, get them to read it because uh, it's pretty catching, even though that uh, a lot of people that aren't even familiar with addiction or people that are in, in addiction, you know, it's something that I think they should read and come in contact with to be aware about it. So anyway, um, I'll let you back to what she's doing. But anyway, love you, baby. Very proud of you. It's crazy how many people you inspire. That sounds like <laughs> a man that is very supportive. Very supportive. Uh, Thank you, Wes, for hey, that, leaving yeah, that, that message. Was awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, way to get me all emotional right before I'm trying to yeah. focus on not being. So uh. This podcast does have a phone number. If you want to leave a message for Dr. Sellers, if you want to leave a message for a future guest that you see us, you know, send out the little promo for the week before, give us a call and leave that voicemail. It's 801-410-0676. Did that give you enough time to... No. You, what yeah. what was happening there? There was some... Oh, man. There's a lot of love and gratitude. Oh, yeah. 
um, Wes and I met each other at a very broken time in both of our lives. I was in the, I had just gotten out of jail. I was in super early recovery and, um, he had been through a lot in his life to where he had just given up on what, you know, he wanted most. And we've been able to be there for each other throughout both of, you know, our lives. And, and honestly, in the beginning of my story, I mean, we met at first when I was 16, just for a few minutes. And I didn't realize I was meeting my husband at that point. Life had brought us together a couple times after that. And um, right as I had got out of jail, I ended up going to this house, you know, being in the old negative behaviors of trying to get the money that I was owed and knocked on the door and he answered and he ended up taking me out of the homeless shelter, giving me a place to live. I ended up living with him for a year and a half. We were just best friends. I was in, you know, pro on probation, early recovery, and and uh, he was just trying to stay alive, really, <laughs> as far as uh, recovering in his emotions. So we've really been each other's biggest supports, and I'm just so thankful for everything he's been and everything he's going to be yet to come. That's awesome. Um, Thank you for letting that be a beautiful moment. Yeah. I love it. All right. Sellers, do you want to? You want to ask her about uh, what she knows about addiction? What do you know about this? This is about recovery, more you know about addiction. More importantly, recovery. Where do we want to start with this, Doc? Well, let's start where it starts, right? Let's start in the beginning. So, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Tell us how growing up was. Tell us about you know your family of origin, that sort of stuff. Absolutely. So. Uh, most of my childhood was just my mom and me and my sister. My mom was a single mom. Um, my father made the choice to not be involved, and I think that was a major piece of, you know, why I ended up going the way I did. Um, I was a little girl standing at the door just wondering, you know, why doesn't the man who created me love me and mm -hmm. what's wrong with me? So I think that played a big part um, within my story but <clears throat> growing up you know I'm from Salt Lake my whole family kind of migrated here and I did really well in school growing up I got really good grades I was on track to graduate early um, enter Dixie's nursing program and then I think the problem started when I was 16 and I went through my first real heartbreak um, not only did <clears throat> the breakup clarify the thoughts in my head of whether I was good enough, but it also brought back the thought of, you know, my father not being there and me just wanting to feel loved and validated and good enough. Um, when I ended up going through that breakup, I, there was about a week where I was just extremely depressed and I started drinking and that was where my addiction, my story began. Got you. Got you. So some of those childhood memories, you refilt them again and to numb out, basically, you turned to alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah. So the self-acceptance, I mean, with alcohol, you know, when you're when you're young and you're in high school, there's parties and people, you know, doing all these things and you just want to be a part of, you just want to, you want to feel that connection. And I think that was just my way of being able to do that was trying to fit in and do what everyone else was doing so that I was accepted and I was loved. I love that. There's a lady that does meditation guidance stuff. Her <coughs> name's Sarah uh, Blondin. I'm going to, I probably slaughtered that, but yeah. And one of her meditation guidance things that she does, they're you beautiful. slaughtered a name. All right. Big surprise there. Uh, she talks about it, at the heart of everyone. They just want to feel loved and accepted. Absolutely. Yeah. It's powerful. Yep. I think connection makes all the difference in holding and sustaining a strong recovery. Yeah, yeah I agree. So where did, where did the depths of your addiction start out? I mean, what age were you when you first drank and then kind of how did, how did life go from there? So my addiction went pretty quick. Um, from the age of 16, <clears throat> I started drinking with friends at high school. Um, I ended up getting in a new relationship. And that ended up going from, you know, he did opioids at the time. And I ended up joining in that. And things just progressed from that to worse drugs and worse drugs and worse drugs. And um, by the time I had hit 18, I had already been in the court system. Uh, I had lost, you know, almost everything that was important to me, all my friends that weren't justifying my behaviors and what I was doing. And then <clears throat> I ended up involving myself in a group of friends that was deep into addiction. And um, I ended up becoming an IV user. 
So did you, when you said that you kind of started getting into things and I appreciate that you're not trying to glorify the drug use, right? But were you just kind of dabbling or were you physically dependent on any of those and you're cross addicting? So the relationship that I ended up starting, um, I was introduced to uh, opioids and that obviously physically got me addicted. Um, the person I was with had access to prescriptions. It was a big situation going on in the world. And so once we ended up running out of opioids, that lasted probably about eight months or so, um, we were withdrawing. I mean, I was sitting in a bathtub, fully dressed, just bawling my eyes out, going through shakes. And and um, someone, ended, his brother ended up actually bringing me a little piece of something and said just, take it and ended up taking it and little did I know I had just started my heroin addiction Uh, yeah sadly that's how it happens right absolutely absolutely yeah Yeah. from that point um you know obviously one drug is better than the other it just keeps going keeps getting stronger so um opioids were no longer good enough and the heroin became the control of me that Um, rabbit hole just kept getting deeper and deeper (laughs) absolutely absolutely Well, naturally, you know, all growing up, I have a very bubbly personality. I love people and very outgoing. And so after months of just feeling like a slug and all the effects of what heroin was doing to my body, um, I then was introduced to something to give me energy. And that was the methamphetamine. Right. Um, That ultimately became my drug of choice. So... I was able to function more than I was with the heroin. And for me, that was, you know, what glorified being able to do that drug. Um, So you kind of were wrapped up in both of them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. When did your first charges come? Because you said you were in the court system by the age of 18. I mean, what, what happened there? Oh, yeah. So funny story. I ended up finally, I was full on in my meth and heroin addiction. And I really just wanted something different I was really tired and bored of the routine that we had created and I called my mom which I had not talked to her in a long time and I go mom I just want to come home I don't want to do this anymore and she goes okay well the the you have to pack break up with your relationship and come home and I will help you so I was like okay so um, I ended up going to breakfast that morning with my mom to village Inn, and I ended up driving home to go get my stuff to pack. And the second I pulled my car into the driveway, SWAT hit my house. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah, so um, that for me was a very impacting moment because although I had made the decision to stop and get clean and I knew where I wanted to go, I wasn't going to get out of it that easy. And um, SWAT had been watching my house for about three months. At this point, I was at a depth of transporting um, dealing with very high individuals in the drug industry that um, the police were very interested in finding out about. Yeah. So the interest on that loan that you'd been taking out all that time, <laughs> you'd been partying and woo, yep. right? It time finally to pay it back. came a call. Absolutely. Dr. Sellers, what do you think of all this? Penny, for your thoughts. Just wow. Right? <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing how quickly we can get in that deep and how, how it can overwhelm us so fast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially a sweet girl like Mallory. She started off like a freaking rocket going to the moon. She was in nursing school, checking all the right boxes, just, you know, hair on fire, spitting nails, and then, yeah. And then the SWAT is, is uh, descending upon her house. I mean, that's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, I ended, up, I ended up doing about a week in jail. You know, I had convinced my mom Um, that I was better. I still had that decision that, you know, I wanted to do well. The weirdest thing is my mom ended up bailing me out. I did about a week in jail. Um, I got out. I was at 70 pounds. So I was just skin and bones. Um, I ended up, my mom drove me to the house I was living at. The SWAT had hit. I went in to go get my stuff and there was a full bottle of methamphetamine sitting on the floor Everything that I was in using, there was uh, my scale was there, my phone was there, heroin was there. I just didn't understand how the police department did not get any of those items. Well, of course, you know, me being the addict, I got rid of everything except that bottle of meth, my drug of choice, and took it home, and my spiral started all over again. Um, by the time August came around, uh, I ended up getting caught again, except this time it was for. 16 charges of um, second and third degree felonies of 
burglary, possession, and distribution. That's so that's so powerful that you just said right there because a lot of times that and that's why jail doesn't always work, right? Because sure, you can have forced abstinence, forced sobriety, whatever you want to call it, but then as soon as you return back to that environment, it's like nothing's changed. It's you're basically just putting the pause button on time for them, and then they, I mean, right, sellers? What what do you think on that? Um, well, I, you said a comment that I want to correct for sure. You said that's why jail doesn't always work. That's why jail never works. Good point. This has never been shown to be helpful for people with addiction at all. And I understand why occasionally we have to, like if, uh, if somebody stuck in addiction is committing crimes, sure, they have to go to jail. But it is never, ever beneficial to the person with addiction. Um it's not, I mean, sometimes stopping them and letting them contemplate themselves and stuff. Yeah, sure, people will say that helped a little, but jail doesn't help addiction at all. It just doesn't. Yeah, for me, if I wouldn't have been released to a program to kind of work on all the brokenness, I probably would have been in the same shoes as you, Mallory. Absolutely. Well, and <clears throat> I think it's super important to remember that, you know, no one's an exception. I mean, right addiction has no remorse. It doesn't matter what your goals were. It doesn't matter what your dreams are. It doesn't matter how many people love you. It's going to take you. And unless you're willing to fight back and, and change everything, my uh, mentor, which we'll get to in the second half of this, he used to say, change everything or nothing changes. Not one oh, or two no. things. You have to change everything or absolutely nothing will change. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it said in the same principle in a different way. Yep. The only thing you have to change is everything. Yep. Yep. Exactly. That's, there's some, some truth to that. All right. So you're in trouble with the law. Yep. So from <clears throat> jail and facing all these charges, um, I had found out that my relationship, the person I was with at the time ended up going into drug court. So for me, I'm like, absolutely a, a, a opportunity to spend more time with the person that I thought gave me that love and validation I was seeking. Absolutely. Sign me up. Um, I ended up going through drug court. I failed drug court because obviously I wasn't doing it for the right reasons. Um, ended up going back to jail, ended up um, getting the opportunity to go to STEPS Recovery Center. Um, shout out to STEPS. Thanks for everything you guys do. Um, so thankful that you guys have this program and that you're a part of it. Um, ended up failing that, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but were there some seeds planted? Oh, absolutely. So, I mean, for me, <clears throat> the, the problem wasn't any of the programs necessarily, but I had this mindset that I wanted to be in control. I didn't like being told what to do. Yeah. And that's what I struggled with the most was I wanted to take the credit for my success, but also my failure. And if I did what other people told me to do and I recovered, the credit was theirs. And for me, I wasn't willing to, to give that credit up. I wanted to do it my way, the, you know, whether that was the hard way or not. Um, and I definitely ended up getting to that point. <laughs> I'm so glad you touched on that because in the clinical world, we, we, that's a thinking distor a cognitive distortion, right? Yep. It's a fallacy of control. Absolutely. And a lot of people struggle with that. Yep. Me included, probably still to this day. No way. Right. Sellers. I don't have fallacy of control issues. Do I? <laughs> no, <laughs> Not at but yeah, that was a big part of it. Thanks for mentioning that. That's good. Really, people do have, have to want this thing. That's Absolutely. what that's the message I'm taking away from what you just shared. Absolutely. And yeah, it I believe me when I say I welcomed death. I challenged death. I it was the easiest option. I mean, I had I had literally destroyed everything in my life that I loved and it was just the easier option to just let go and, and I definitely welcomed that idea. Um and uh, that wasn't that wasn't the end of my story. So God said, I still got meaning for you. Yep, I still got you're purpose. You're not finished here. <laughs> so do you, do we have time in a minute and a half for you to take us into the, the rock bottom? Like, um, was there a moment or do we want to leave that for part two? Yeah, I can definitely leave a cliffhanger here. So um, I ended up, I was standing in the courtroom and I had failed every, every program that they had given me. I was 19 years old and I was facing 15 years in prison. For me, all the thoughts in my head were, I'm never going to get to be a mom. I'm never going to get to achieve the dreams that I had since I was little. Well, as the judge was about to sentence me, um, he goes, I'm going to make an example out of you. And my heart just dropped. 
And all of a sudden, the courtroom doors swung open, and a man walked in with that was about to change my entire life, was about to change my entire story. And <clears throat> he asked the judge to put me on a private probation, and the judge looked at him and said, are you kidding me? Like, she's failed everything I've given her. That's not going to work. And he's like, please. So he goes, okay, Mel, your higher power and my higher power must love you very much because um, I'm going to grant you, grant Chuck his wish. I'm going to put you on a three-year private probation with a zero tolerance and i was released that day wow wow thank you so much for that mallory Rouche, everybody part one be sure you stick around for part two or the the coming out of her rock bottom or life in recovery today and some of the cool stuff that she's got going on right after this 30 second break from our sponsor you are listening to we do recover with jared miller and co-hosted by dr terry sellers we'll be right back after this short break with more of we do recover with jared miller sponsored by steps recovery center and the hilton garden inn i'm desmond lomax one of the clinical executives here at steps recovery and once you become of the steps family you're just a part of the steps family a lot of us have overcome substances overcome addiction and now we're able to help other people second of all we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped third of all we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times and it's more about you than it is about our organization Welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. And we're back from that little 30-second commercial break. Thank you so much for sticking with us. So in part one, Mallory shared kind of uh, her, her life and her relationships today. She shared what the depths of her addiction took her to. And now my favorite part episode or part two of, of episode 30 here we're going to get into her life and recovery after her rock bottom before that though episode 30 part two is brought to you by the hilton garden inn it's always sunny and bright at the hilton garden inn st george utah if you're traveling through southern utah or your loved ones looking to a little getaway definitely give them a google search just type in hilton garden inn st george utah they have amazing amenities we love those guys all right so chuck comes in Man, who was Chuck? I'm like I. You left me on the cliffhanger because I'm thinking to myself like, oh, who's Chuck, and how come Chuck didn't come into my life when I was in a courtroom? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it was. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry. I just said exactly who's who's this guy. I want to know who this guy is. That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a perfect cliffhanger. It, he a miracle. Um, he absolutely deserves every bit of credit for where I am and where I'm where I'm at today. Um, but as I was standing in the courtroom and this was happening, I was just baffled. I had no idea who this man was. I had never met him in my life. And so they ended up releasing me. I walk out of the courtroom and Chuck goes, okay, I'll see you in a month, this date, this time to come do your drug test. And I looked at him. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, like, see ya. Well, <clears throat> obviously... <laughs> I was not in the state of recovery. You would think that something that powerful would be a second chance that I would take advantage of. And uh, that that's not where my mind was at. Yeah. So I ended up running amok again for about a month. Um, I ended up stealing my mom's car, going to Vegas, um, using and coming back. Well, Chuck ended up calling me. It was the day before or a week before I had to go test and he called me and he goes, Mal, I need you to come into my office. And I'm like, oh great. Well, at this time I had track marks up and down my arms. I had just been up all night um, in Las Vegas, stole my mom's vehicle. And so I ended up showing up and he goes, I need you to drug test. And so I tried to do the whole fake pee thing, right? Yep. Cause we've all tried that uh, terrible behavior. And, uh, it did not work, <laughs> did not work. So he ended up sitting me in this room and, and he goes, Mal, clearly you've been using. And uh, I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, he grabbed a paper from the fax machine. He sat down at his desk and he started filling it out. And I go, what's that? And he goes, well, you're on a zero tolerance and you've messed up, so you're going to prison. And he started filling out this paper and that for me 
was the ultimate breakdown. Yeah. Um, I had a opportunity to fix it and I didn't. And so I just started bawling and begging and I was like, please, 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 please don't, don't send that paper. In. Like I can live life normally. I can do it on life's terms and I can be someone that the people are proud to, to follow. And, and he stood up and he slammed his hands on the desk and he was like, what the swear word do I have to do to make you see that your life is worth living? And Powerful. I looked at him and instantly all of the emotions that I had been holding on about my father and not being enough and wanting to be loved came out. And he goes, why didn't all these programs work for you? And I go, because I don't want to be punished into recovery. Yeah. I want to be inspired into recovery. And I want to be loved through this learning process. And I didn't feel like I had found that yet. And so he sits down and he goes, Mel, I'm here for you and I want you to live. So what do I have to do? And I go, one, don't threaten me. Don't try to take my freedom. Like, I'll run. Right. You may have had a defiance. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Oppositional defiance. Yep. I was disorder. like, tell me I can't do something. Watch me go do it. Yep. Negative or positive. I'm going to prove you wrong, right? Some good insight on you, though. So uh, <clears throat> I go, just be there for me. Well, he ended up giving me an assignment, and this assignment changed my entire life. And it's also something that I've been able to implement into my book, which we'll get to later. <laughs> um, he gave me six months of what they, he called check-ins. So every night for the next six months, I was required to give him a call. If he answered, we would have a conversation about how my day went. If he didn't answer, I was required to leave a one-minute voicemail. Um, I asked him, you know, what, what is this going to do for me? And he goes, it's going to do a few things. One, it's going to tell me that you're alive. Two, I'm going to be able to know whether you're clean or not by the sound of your voice and by what you're talking about you know, what your focus was of the day. Um, so I go, okay, well, over the next six months, I had built a relationship with this man and this probation officer, this influence that I had been wanting my whole life with a father. Yeah, yeah, he stepped in and played that father figure role, gave you connection. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Accountability, Absolutely. forced that forced accountability. Yep. Yeah. So uh, it's funny because you know, at the times he would answer, we were laughing and joking and, and he was a man that this world doesn't have enough of. But at the end of that six months, um, my check-ins were done. Well, I ended up calling the day after my six months was over and he answered and he's like, Mal. And I was like, yeah, Hey, you know, just want to let you know how my day went. And he goes, Mal, your check-ins ended yesterday. Yeah. And for most people, they would be happy about that. But for me, <laughs> I never wanted that to end. Yeah. Like that was hard for me. I had, yeah. it, I, it was fulfilling a need that you'd had since you were that little girl. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It finally, I'd finally made the connection that was going to keep me clean. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, I finally had to do something to get my mind busy. And that's when I decided that I'm going to pursue school. And I ended up going for my bachelor's degree in healthcare that, at first, everyone was like, Mal, you can't go into healthcare. Like, do you understand how many felonies you have on your <laughs> record? Like, you're definitely not going to make it. Love the naysayers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know me, right? That Opposition mindset. Of yep. Well, at first, I almost tried to accept it because I, I wanted this to work this time. So I ended up changing my degree to a business degree and went through that for about six months. And I would see the medical students. And I knew that my heart was in the healthcare field. My mom was you know, a medical assistant nursing. Um, so that's where I definitely thought I was going to be able to make the biggest impact. Yeah. So I ended up changing so my that's degree. What, that was your early recovery. You just went right into school. Yeah. And after the six month check-ins, now you're on some stable ground. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you hear within Narcotics Anonymous, you know, I was going to meetings. I was doing all the basic foundation pieces that I was given. I had gotten a sponsor. Um, I was not working the steps yet at this time. I was just basically trying to get a grasp on living a normal life without the chaos that I was used to. Unmanageability, yeah. Um, 
then I, I ended up going to Chuck and anytime something excited me or that I was having a hard day, you know, just like with the check-ins, I wanted to talk to Chuck. So I called him and I go, my heart is in the healthcare industry. And, and, uh, he goes, then go for it. So I ended up going for the healthcare, uh, degree. And when I was getting near graduation, I was nervous. They were requiring a background check and I knew for a fact that I was not going to pass that. So I hit that failure point. Yeah. I, I'm not, I'm kind of laughing over here because I've had that experience has happened to me so many times. You know how many jobs I haven't applied to because I thought, well, what's the point? They're going to do a background check and I'm, I'm not going to get the job. Right. And then I'll be standing one time. I was standing in line with the guy at Subway. I saw he had a badge on at the place that I, I would would have loved to have worked at. I said, oh, yeah, how is it there? And he's telling me, yeah, it's good, and tell me about it. And I said, yeah. And I, w- I was thinking about applying there, but I had at the time, I've gotten them taken care of now, but at the time I had a couple felonies on my record. I said, yeah, I got some felon- felonies on my record. And he said, dude, I've been to prison three times. I, got, I, got, I, I promise I have more felonies than you. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Yep. Can I just say some of the most – powerful and influential people that have uh you know a harp a high part in society you know i mean even cops you know lawyers people like that they have a history they have been through the darkest deep depths of rock bottom and that's why they're so good at loving people and influencing people and making a difference and i think that's something that is important to realize too. I mean, even reflecting on Dr. Seller's story, I, I know him because he's a, a mentor and a buddy of mine, but I mean, it took somebody pushing you to go back to Doppel, right? Sellers to. Yeah, for sure. I felt, I felt exactly like you're describing. And that is, I, yeah, no, I'm not going to go ask Doppel for my license back. Cause there's no way they're going to give it to me. Cause I'm such a snake and a squirrel. And, um, you know, finally the owner of the treatment center that I went to, kind of dragged me there and kind of made me go and ask for my license back. Otherwise I might still be, you know, working in a fast food restaurant or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Thank heavens for those people. Absolutely. Yeah. So did you get it? I, I'm again, I'm I'm sitting here on the end of the cliffhanger. (laughs) So, uh, I was getting close to that, that graduation and I get a knock on my door one night as I'm sitting, you know, in my room journaling and and I go to open the door and there was a envelope sitting on my doormat. So I pick up the envelope and I open it and it was a complete 402 reduction of every charge on my record, clearing my record completely of all felonies and misdemeanors. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, so uh, I ended up getting to graduate, which is awesome. And just got to mention this, I went through two C-sections, both my babies throughout my degree. So that was awesome. You know, those were both tests of where I was at in my recovery and and all the pain that that was causing me. (laughs) I ended up walking through my graduation uh, about three weeks after I had my second baby. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, so did... did, uh I apologize, his name. Chuck. Um, did Chuck have Chuck. anything to do with those reductions? Absolutely, yep. He was absolutely behind all of it, for sure. Um, and I think that's why he was so confident in telling me to go for my dreams. Because, you know, I started thinking, like, what what advocate would be telling me to go for something that he knew for a fact I was going to fail? You know, I think he had that within his plans um, for a long time. And I just wasn't, he wanted to see if I was willing to fight for it. So he was ready to go to work if you were. Absolutely. Yeah. And the coolest part, I, I just got to brag a little more about my husband. Um, Chuck, my husband is the only one that really knew the relationship, you know, with Chuck. My husband and I were best friends for like two years before we ever ended up thinking about dating. And, and that was on Chuck's terms because you're you're not going to date. Like you have a codependency problem. You need to gain control of your life and be able to be independent and be a strong woman and, and find a love for yourself without anyone else because your father is killing you. Yeah. And so um, I was able to do that by keeping a distance from Wes. Well, when um, 
oh, just blinked, of course. Um, by keeping that distance, it only built the friendship that I have with Wes. And Strengthened it. Absolutely, absolutely. And Chuck just kept reminding Wes, like, do not even think about it, buddy. <laughs> I think he threatened <laughs> his life a couple of times. Um, well, after I had graduated, <clears throat> I finally was about to graduate treatment uh, or my probation period and be done with that. So I ended up graduating with that and um, I finally had my freedom back. You know, it felt like a whole new clear start to being able to pursue the dreams that I had held on for onto for so long. When you, when you graduated, where were you at in your recovery? How, like how much time did you have? Oh, let's see. So 13, 14, 15. So I just hit my five years clean. Wow. Yep. Wow. That's amazing. Yep. Chuck, what a great guy. How do we meet this guy? Where's he at today? Uh, whew. So, um, Wes ended up asking for Chuck's permission to propose. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. So, story. Oh, I know. He he definitely was an amazing piece of my life. Um, so, you know, I'm obviously in the excitement. I have a family. I'm marrying my best friend. I have my degree. I am on cloud nine. And um, I get so busy planning this wedding and I just start bawling one night when I'm sitting in bed with Wes and he goes, what's wrong, Mel? And I go, we can't get married. And he's like, what? And I go, I don't have a father to walk me down the aisle. Like, mm. what am I going to do? You know, like the ultimate scare for me was having to face this again. And Wes looks at me with no effort and he goes, why wouldn't you ask Chuck? Good job, Wes. <laughs> so for the next three months, I was calling Chuck's phone, trying to get a hold of him, and uh, I wasn't getting any responses. Mm. Um, I kind of thought that maybe because I had graduated probation, you know, there was a legal aspect in not being able to have that contact or that friendship anymore um, as personal, right. um, like a conflict of interest. So I just kind of started letting it go. It, it got closer to my wedding and I just, I had to have someone. So I ended up asking my grandpa, which I'm super thankful for, but, um, we ended up choosing new harmony to get married in. And the day, the night before the day before my wedding, I was packing everything. I was in a panic, right? I was about to enter the best day of my life. And, uh, I get a phone call. Get real. I get a phone call that Chuck had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Man. And he was only given a couple days to live. And uh, this caller was one of his best friends that I had met a couple times within my addiction or within my recovery program. Yeah. And uh, he was Chuck's best, best friend. And so he goes, he hasn't wanted anyone to know about this or, or see anyone. Um, but he requested me to get a hold of you to see if you could come. Wow. So obviously my hair was half up. I was a mess. I was still in pajamas. <laughs> I ended up dropping everything, getting in my car and driving to the address that he had given me. Um, I walked in and, and his whole family was there, very silent. Uh, his wife came over and grabbed my hand and, and led me into his room where he was there, you know, connected to every machine that was keeping him alive. And I sat there on his bed and I kind of gave him crap. I'm like, you know, my wedding's tomorrow. Like, how are you going to walk? <laughs> you know, how are you going to get there looking like this fool? <laughs> my way of trying to break that ice and. He grabbed my hand and he's like, I'm so sorry. I haven't been answering your calls. I just haven't been able to face you yet. Yeah, he didn't want you to see him at his weak point. And I mean, the craziest thing was, you know, seeing someone that was such an advocate for recovery and addiction, such a beautiful person that has changed so many lives in so many states going out that way. 
Yeah. It's yeah. extremely difficult. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank yeah. you for being vulnerable. Yeah. He ended up uh, grabbing my hand. He goes, I just want you to know that I will be there. I will be at your wedding and, and I need you to make me one promise. And I was like, what's that? He goes, I need you to start helping me do my work. I want you to tell your story, whether that means write a book or just help addicts like I've helped you, you know, inspire them with love and inspire their recovery instead of the punishment aspect. And he I needed, made a promise. So. He needed to know his work was going to continue through you. Absolutely. He and needed I, that peace. And I didn't realize the pressure of the promise that I had just made until, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going from the worst day of my life to the best day of my life within 24 hours. And um, my wedding went great. Everything was awesome. And then um, two days into my honeymoon, I get the call that Chuck had passed. Yeah. That's got to be tough. You are you are a warrior, girl. You are a warrior. But on the positive note, so let's talk a little more was, about where we're going. I was gonna say, yeah, like that. I just wanted to sit in it for a minute, but that that was super beautiful, and thank you for sharing that. And that's kind of brought you into what what you're doing today, right? I mean, I feel like you're honoring that promise. So tell us a little bit about what you go, what your life in recovery look like today, then. So. <clears throat> I had to figure out a way that I was able to fulfill this promise and reach as many people as I could. And, you know, I just kept making the joke to my husband that if I could clone myself and give myself, you know, to every person that felt alone or felt unloved or needed support or guidance, just like Chuck did for me, I wanted to be able to do that. And um, I realized what better way to clone myself than to write a book of everything that I would tell someone if I was sitting right there in front of them. So it's a good way to reach the masses. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. So I'm currently uh, writing a 90 day recovery and healing program called the way in 90 days. And not only is there so much in it for, you know, parents of an addict, the child of an addict, every part of piece of a family that needs help in healing and support that don't actually have an active addiction. Um, it also has a 90 day step by step recovery program for the active addict. That's amazing. Yeah. And with so when I first heard about your book, right? I, I I'll admit I'm guilty of this. I thought that it was a autobiography. Right. And then you kind of and I'm like interested. So I'm like, send me, you know, the intro. I want to check it out. You know, kind of get to know you a little bit better as coming on as our guest. And I was I was blown away. That wasn't it at all. I mean, there's a little bit, you know, obviously it's about you because you were the one that stepped through this thing. But it's not. It's not not a it's not an autobiography. So here's your big twist. Um, for a long time, I was going to do an autobiography, but the problem was I sat down at my computer and every time I tried to piece together my entire story in detail enough to write a book, there were parts that were fuzzy. I mean, there were parts I didn't remember. There were parts where I couldn't guarantee that my facts were straight because I was in active addiction. And, and I didn't want to put something out in this world that I wasn't 100% sure was going to make a difference. And so... What I decided was I'm going to create a program that has every lesson that Chuck ever taught me, every activity that he gave me um, to heal, and I'm going to implement those into a 90-day recovery program. But also, I'm going to include parts of my autobiography. So each chapter, I'm starting off with a flashback, a very intense moment in my addiction of what got me to the lesson I'm about to teach you later on in the page. So that your reader can have relatability. Absolutely. Yeah. And it gives me credibility. You know, right. I don't, I'm, I'm not a healthcare provider as far as, you know, addiction and recovery. And, and I, this is all based on experience and everything that Chuck had ever taught me that he, I know he would want passed on. So. Yeah. That's amazing. Sellers, it's been a minute since, what are, what are your thoughts on this, man? Uh, th for, first of all, this is a, spectacular story i mean this is such a great story and it's been heartwarming and it's been touching and it's been emotional for sure i think everybody's fallen in love with chuck and for that matter um but uh i, I appreciate this story because it's really a story of redemption and a story of the power of recovery and uh i i'm the reason i'm 
silent is I'm just sitting here just listening to this and loving every second of it. Yeah, it's cool to be a part of it firsthand, isn't it? It really is. Thank you so much. We appreciate you, Mallory. I'm glad I'm here. You so, guys are doing awesome things. So. Thank you. Thank you. So where do people, we got a minute and a half left. Where do people go to, to get the book? How do they get it? How do they get involved with you? How do they reach out? So the publishing date is coming soon. Um, my goal is to hope, I'm hoping to have it done near June. Um, but I just want to make sure I don't forget anything. Um, I do have a website. It's roosherecovery.com. I can definitely create a link to give to Jared so that you guys are able to find that. But roosherecovery.com. Yeah, we'll post it on the, the comments below this episode. Perfect. Sure. And uh, on Roosh. for us because it's... <laughs> R-U-E-S-C-H. Right. Thanks. Um, you are able to get uh, the first free exclusive intro on my website. And that basically just has a little idea of what is coming for the book. I also do have a Facebook page, and that is Roosh Recovery as well. Um, I, that's a lot of just motivational posts and um, uplifting you know, things to get people staying and sustaining a healthy recovery and a happy recovery. And a way to get to know you and the things that are going on in your day to day, in your world, in your absolutely, mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. I got to give a quick little update. So, uh, sober society, we've been doing a fun fundraiser to help raise money for sober living. People are transitioning into sober living. And the update is we're at $750 as of today. So go to the, this Facebook page, click view shop, make sure you order your t-shirts 50% of the profits go towards helping somebody. Let's hit that goal with $1,000. Thank you so much for coming on, Mallory. I Man, you did Thank you amazing. for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from a podcast studio.